Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, happy Wednesday. We have a great show today. In fact, it's kind of a a two-part show, a little bit. A couple of months ago, I went out to San Quentin, which is the prison in San Francisco, California, and I got the opportunity to go with Bob Goff and my friend Tiffany Daniels, and we got to go in and see the work that Bob is doing in there. I was able to meet a bunch of men who are incarcerated and serving their sentences for their crime. And I also met a man named Brandon Terrell, who was on the outside with us. And I tell the story in the podcast, so I'll let you hear it all from them. But I knew I wanted to have him on the happy hour. And so today, um, I'm sitting down and having a conversation with Brandon, who served a sentence in San Quentin. He served a sentence for his crime. He talks about it in the show today. And you guys, this is an interview that has stuck with me since I had it for a lot of reasons. There are some things in here that Brandon says that I hope you also never forget. I hope it changes the way that we view people. I hope it changes the way we view the grace of God. I hope it changes the way that we see incarcerated men. I hope it changes the way that we view about rehabilitation. And so I'm just giddy to bring you this conversation. And on Friday, uh, his wife is coming on the show. And so I had a conversation with his wife who told me uh, before we did these interviews that both of their trauma led to the healing in both of their lives. And so she unpacks that on Friday. You guys, this conversation is important because we know as a follower of Jesus that we believe that all people are made in God's image and it matters the way that we treat them. And so I'm excited to bring you this conversation today. We're going to put some links in the show. I want you to go follow the organizations that Brandon's a part of on Instagram, cheer them on, show them some love. I think it goes without saying that if you're listening to this in the car with little ones, you might want to preview it first. Obviously, nothing's inappropriate, but it might be some conversations for older kids I pray that it helps you have conversations with your family uh, on a deeper level about God's love for us. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Brandon Terrell. Brandon, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you so much. Uh, This isn't the happy hour that I grew up uh, (laughs) attending, but I'm grateful that this is what I'm doing today. It's better though, right? Way better. Way better. Way better. Well, you I, don't, know, I don't have to worry about uh, getting handcuffs put on my wrist. I'm so happy. I would not invite you to a happy hour like that, Brandon, uh, knowing that. Here's the thing. Everyone always asks me, like, why did you name your show The Happy Hour? And, you know, if I, like, want to be really, really spiritual, I'm like, well, because we just talk about happy things, which isn't always true. But really, Brandon, here's how I named it, because I was like, my girlfriends and I, if we were to meet for happy hour, what kind of conversations would we have? Or what kind of questions would we ask? Or what kind of stories would we tell? And so that's what I wanted the show to feel like. So this is uh, not your old happy hour, Brandon. It's your new happy hour. I love it. (laughs) I love it so much. Uh, Thanks for being here. I want you to introduce yourself to my listeners. Yeah, my name's uh, Brandon Terrell. Jamie, thank you for having me uh, on with you today. Um, 35 years old, happily married to amazing wife, Lacey. Um, we have four awesome kids and three wild dogs. Three wild dogs. And you live in California. Yeah, we live up in Northern California. Uh, I love, I love the, uh, beauty of Northern California, but I kind of like, uh, the values and the people down in Texas. Come on. All your all the Californians people are coming. So we welcome you as well. You are welcome to come here. Um I want to I want to set the stage for how I was introduced to you. So my friend Tiffany Daniels, who's a mutual friend of ours, um she runs Therefore. She's been on the podcast before and um last fall I was with her out at Bob Goff's place, The Oaks, which is in Southern California. And I've been there a couple times and you and I are both friends with Bob as well and while I was there, Tiffany said that she had I don't know if she had been or she was going into the prison, San Quentin, which is north of San Francisco. North of San Francisco? North of San Francisco. Just north just north of San Francisco, five minutes. Yeah. So she had been there with Bob. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I before the, before the pandemic, I used to do jail ministry here in Austin. I'm like, man, Tiffany, I would love to go. Like, I would be something I really would love to go. I'd love to see the work that's happening there. And so she put in a good word for me. And somehow I got invited. And so uh, February of this year, I flew to San Francisco and stepped into my very first prison, uh, San Quentin, and um, I met you right before we walked in, okay? So I meet, I met a lot of people. There were like maybe 15 people with us, and I meet Brandon, 
And then somehow I found out that uh, you were not just on this tour with us, but you had been, you were formerly incarcerated at San Quentin. So I was like, okay, well, that's interesting, right? So I would love to talk to him. And then this is the craziest thing to me, Brandon. I was like, so Brandon, how long have you been out? And at this point you were like four months. I was like, four months? Is this traumatic for you to walk back into this place? And so that is how we met. And by the end of the tour, I looked at Brandon and I said, hey, I'd love to have you on my show, The Happy Hour. And you said to me, I'll never forget it. You said, you really need to talk to my wife, Lacey. She's the one you need to talk to. And so I said, done. And so Lacey's coming on on Friday, you guys. So I talked to Lacey as well. But that's how we met. And um, so I'm so excited to have you here. And I I just want to set the stage real quick. People that listen to The Happy Hour know that I have a heart for caring for all of God's people. And I think all of God's people matter. So I have a a, a very holistic pro-life view. So I would be pro-life from conception all the way to natural death. And some of the things that fall under my pro-life, like, mentality and worldview would be how we care for people who are incarcerated in their country. And so it's something that I have um, been a champion for, had conversations about. And so I really want to talk to you about that today. But first, I want you to set the stage for us as much as you're willing to share of what um, what took you to San Quentin. I think it's about to get real, right? Um, but like, I'm going to be as authentic as I can be. God created me to, to just be real. Uh, it was... A pleasure meeting you and Tiffany. Like y'all are amazing people, Bob. I remember when Bob first came into San Quentin, just on a tour. Like San Quentin's the only prison I think that actually like has people come in to visit and talk to the incarcerated. Me and him walked around that prison that day and like just was like, you know what? Like what you're doing with love does. Let's get that going on here. And uh, so now that I'm out, anytime he goes in, he's like, Brandon, come on. And so. Uh, it was, it's a treat, like having the conversation as we did. Uh, and then, uh, oh yeah, by the way, like I just got out of prison myself. Like this was my house for, uh, a decade. Um, but yeah, like what got me to San Quentin? Um, you know, I'm someone who growing up, like my identity was, uh, athlete. Like I wanted to be a professional uh, baseball player or football player. I was amazing at both of them. Um, and like the only place I really felt, uh, valued and felt special was when I was playing sports. Right. And, uh, my junior year in high school, um, just lots of trouble. I was always getting into lots of trouble. Um, and I was ultimately expelled. And so I remember walking out of the principal's office and making a decision a choice, even though I wasn't mature, like I still made a decision. Like if I can't go to school, that means I cannot play sports. If I do not have sports in my life, I'm not going to be coming to school. Right. And so at that point, my life ultimately started heading to San Quentin. Um, I didn't, once again, I didn't know who I was outside of the ball field. And uh, I immediately started hanging out with all the wrong people in all the wrong places, trying to fill this void. Uh, and I had no, uh, relationship with Jesus. Um, I think it's safe to say that like my family believed in God, but they weren't practicing. We didn't go to church much. Actually, I did go to a Christian school in seventh grade and, um, you know, lots, lots of trouble mischief. I like to say mischief because I see kids today and I'm like, that's not that big of a deal. Like we just got to love on them. But that was me just lots of it times like a hundred. And so administration and, and, and the folks would get frustrated and, you know, do things with me. But and at that Christian school in seventh grade, the principal, who was also the pastor, was locking me in the nursery and abusing me, like physically abusing me. And this is someone who played NFL football, big guy. Um, and I took that for two weeks. And I remember my mom dropped me off and uh, I already had my mind made up. Like, I'm going to act like I'm going to school. And then she's going to leave and I'm going to walk out. And so when I walked out, the school was in the sanctuary doing their morning prayer and and rituals. And I just remember like, if this is God and this is what like Christianity is, I don't want nothing with it, nothing to do with it. And so, so fast forward to uh, getting kicked out of high school and and really just like aimlessly going through life. Um, Like I didn't have this relationship with God. I didn't hate him. 
it just was a thing that happened right um and so you know i'm living a lifestyle i i started filling uh the void you know addicted to alcohol really addicted to anything that made me feel good whether it was alcohol or drugs uh adrenaline junkie doing just stupid things that like living bob always says like live on the edge of yikes right like that was me but in all the wrong ways and uh um you know ultimately uh, i knew i had a problem but i just didn't know how to ask for help i was afraid to ask for help i didn't want to show that weakness and as men uh you know in this country our culture like we're not supposed to expose weakness it was always instilled to me like don't ask for help like we deal with things on our own actually like on the on the football field like i was praised like to to express violence and anger you know um and so with all these issues afraid to ask for help uh there came a time where uh i just got out of control and February 23rd, 2012, um, you know, I was at a house party, me and a friend of mine had, Ryan had gotten into an argument. We were growing lots of pot. We were doing lots of illegal things. Like I was living a criminal lifestyle and, uh, everything just went bad. Me and Ryan got in a fight. Uh, I ended up picking up a knife on the coffee table and taking his life. Um, in that moment, everything changed. Like the the world changed, the world stopped, um, and I ultimately committed the most selfish act a human could commit. You know, I do remember a couple of days after that, uh, I was immediately arrested. Uh, but a couple of days after that, I was sent in a jail cell, and I just remembered that no matter what happens, I was fighting first degree murder. Uh, life in prison is what you know they wanted to give me. Um, no matter what happens, I, I want to help people live their best life. I want to help people uh, meet full potential and do it sober. Like, I don't want people to go down the road I went down. And uh, I just, I, I had a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. Um, and, uh, you know, fight, fighting uh, a life sentence uh, I, I definitely deserve the life sentence by the grace of God. I'm here today. So, you know, that, that shows you, you know, the redemption and the grace and the mercy that God gives us. Um, but I remember a couple months in, uh, like all the guilt and all the shame were so heavy. I was talking to my mom on the phone and just like, I had all these, every negative thought you could think of suicide. Um, you know, just, that's ultimately the worst thought like we could have on ourselves. Like I really didn't want to live with myself no more, but I was too coward, uh, to, to actually do anything about it. Um, but I was talking to my mom on the payphone in, in jail and expressing this to her, you know, like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, honey, you, you need to pick up the Bible. And so I remember getting off the phone with her and grabbing a Bible off the book card on my way back to my cell and not immediately, but later that evening, like I, I opened it up and just like that, like I felt the presence, I felt the comfort and we all know that, right? Like that was Jesus. That was the Holy spirit coming in my cell. It speaks about it all through scripture, right? Like Jesus visited me in that jail cell. Um, and so I held on to that. Now I did not give my life to God. I did not, uh, I didn't, you know, yeah, I didn't give my life to God. I didn't ex experience his forgiveness um, or any of that yet, uh, but I held on to that Bible. And so from that day forward, um, you know, my Bible study, my devotional was like routine. Like I do not want to go without this feeling. Um, fast forward uh, a couple years fighting my case. I was given 11 years for vo voluntary manslaughter. And so then I hit the California prison system. And if anyone knows anything about prison in California, like it's very racially segregated, survival of the fittest, uh, maximum security yards, people are getting stabbed and killed every day, uh, not killed every day, but like there's just lots of violence. And so when you step onto a maximum security prison yard, like you put on your big boy face and like you don't, uh, you don't uh, talk about Jesus. You don't talk about like, 
love and, and hope and all these things. No. And so um, I like to say, like, I was a cowardly Christian, like in the cell, like I was doing my Bible studies. I was doing everything, praying. And uh, I was staying sober, right? From the day I took Ryan's life, like I was sober. Um, fast forward three and a half years, like on maximum security prison yards, I finally arrived to San Quentin. Now, San Quentin is like one of a kind prison, right? We have over 300 self-help programs there, uh, 100 self-help programs, 3,000 volunteers going in annually to work with the, the men there. Uh, and I wanted to go there for two reasons, college and baseball, right? They had a baseball program and a college program. However, when I got to San Quentin, um, I didn't know like how to act at a low, low level prison. Right. Like I had this false belief system, like this prison belief system that we don't pro we don't do certain things. And at San Quentin, it was like the opposite um, with that. And my grandmother was given uh, six months to live at the time. And I just had all this stuff going on. And once again, like I didn't give my life to Jesus yet. Like I was reading the Bible, the, the Bible, doing all my devotion, but I hadn't given my life to Jesus. I hadn't experienced that forgiveness um so what you know i'm car still carrying shame guilt and uh i relapsed you know in prison you can get anything you want it's almost easier uh to get you know drugs and alcohol in prison than it is on the streets and so i relapsed and within a week like i was back in trouble like i had assaulted a a, a officer there and was put in solitary confinement for um a, almost a year I would receive an additional four years. Um, but while I was in solitary confinement, um, like I, I finally heard from God. I finally was quiet enough and everything was so still that I could hear his voice. And so May 21st, 2016, it was the day before my youngest brother's birthday. And he, uh, he bat battles with autism. He had, he, he has been diagnosed with autism. And so, doctors, medication, no one's going to heal him. Like I know God can heal him, uh, work a miracle through him. And so I'm praying for him, like God heal him, please. Like, you know, heal Benny. And like, I heard this voice that was so loud and so powerful. And it said, what are you going to do for me? Like, it's just loud. It fills the cell. Like the guys next to me didn't hear it, obviously. Right. But like, God was just yelling at me, like, what are you going to do for me? And in that moment, I realized he needed me to give him my addiction. Like I needed to give him my life. Like my way isn't working. And so uh, a lot of rookie Christians uh, or cowardly Christians, as I used to call myself, um, like we're always asking, God, help me. Like I need help. Help me. Help me. Um, but it's like, what are we going to do for him? What are we going to sacrifice for him? And so he was just telling me like, dude, give me your addiction. Like give me your life and I'm going to use you. Like you're powerful. Like you didn't go through all this pain and all this trauma to like not use it, but like you need to allow me to use it. And so, you know what, ultimately I got on my knees and I promised to never use alcohol or drugs again. And there hasn't been an urge since that day, May 21st, 2016 delivered like AA, NA, all that stuff. Like they're great programs, but Jesus delivered me. Um, and so the, the beauty, the beautiful thing about that is like, I was still facing all kinds of extra time. I should have been shipped out of San Quentin. Um, but God somehow paved the way and opened up so many doors to allow me to stay at San Quentin. And, you know, the rest is history. Like the things I was able to do inside of prison, like only God can explain. Like you got to look up and like, wow, like this was a God thing. Um, and so that's how, that's how I got to San Quentin. And that was a little bit about my uh, you know, coming to coming to Jesus. I love that story. I hadn't heard you share that before, so that was great. And I remember when I was on my way, I knew I was going to be going to St. Quentin that month. I would tell people and they'd be like, what? Like a prison? Like you're going to go in? I'm like, yeah. Like I wasn't afraid or scared or anything. But what I thought San Quentin was going to be like and what I experienced was completely different. I, I'm not familiar with the California prison system. I'm not familiar with any prison system. I'm not familiar with how unique San Quentin is by any means. But I remember we walked in and we had a tour by some um, some men who were amazing. And we, we 
came we, we came in we turned around that corner they showed us where the old uh solitary confinement building was you know what i'm talking about they, they, the dungeon they told us about the dungeon we saw the dungeon and then we came down further the the walkway and i was like where am i because i hardly saw a guard i'm sure they were out there I hardly saw a guard and I saw men playing baseball. I saw men running on the track. I saw men hanging out. We were on a tour. Like there was no guard with me. There was no guard with us, you know? And I was very, very surprised. And I, I want to thank you all for being vulnerable and sharing your story. But I want to talk a little bit because I think a lot of people who are unfamiliar with prison life or we always see as TVs and movies. And and you admittedly said, and, and I know that it's true that San Quentin is unique and it is different. But what San Quentin is doing that is so valuable is they're working towards rehabilitation of um, incarcerated people. And a lot of people, Brandon, would say, Brandon doesn't deserve to be out. Brandon took the life of somebody. He, you know, what do you mean, what do you mean rehabilitation? Like, how could somebody do this? And I just think that nobody is too far gone, you know? And I think that as a society, that rehabilitation matters, not only if, I believe rehabilitation matters if you spend your entire life in prison or if you actually get out of prison, like rehabilitation matters. So I want to hear from you. Talk to me just a little bit about um, the value that you see in rehabilitation within our prison systems. I think, no, I think you're absolutely right. One, like, uh, I didn't deserve anything um, other than a life sentence, right? However, um, like redemption is possible. Change is possible. I don't think there's bad people. I think there's good people that make bad choices. Um, and so for so many reasons, like it is important to invest into the incarcerated population, right? There's almost 3 million people incarcerated in the United States. 92% of those people will return home, mm-hmm. right? Like 92% of 3 million people will be coming back. Like today's prisoner is tomorrow's neighbor. Mm-hmm. So like what type of neighbor do you want coming home? This is the numbers that like people need to like understand. Like 85% of that 92% who come home return to prison within three years. Mm-hmm. Like our recidivism rate is 85%. Uh, and like, that means there's more harm going on. Like when people come home, like they're not being healed, they're not being restored, you know, for many different reasons, San Quinn, our recidivism rate is, uh, not that high. I think it's, you know, maybe 63, 65%, right. Which is still too high. Um, but like we need to invest in the people, like these are people, yeah, they made bad choices. They need to be held accountable. I needed to be held accountable for, for my choices. But um, based on the law, like I was, you know, I also believe God's grace, like I was given a second chance. Like, um, and so, you know, I was blessed to go to San Quentin where there's all these opportunities and I took advantage of them. But, you know, it's just one of those things. I think like within the church, like Christians, like people who like look in the mirror and it's like, yes, I'm a Christian. Like, them are some of the most judgiest people from my experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you sit here and, and, and read your word, right? And, like, you're listening and you're getting fueled up by, like, murderers. People who were once labeled as murderers, mm-hmm. right? But, yet you look at me, like, in the flesh and it's like, oh, it's a whole different story, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, my choices don't define who I am. Like Jesus and God defines who I am today. And, and um, one sin isn't greater than the other. Um, however, like people in, in our society, like we definitely put a hierarchy on sin, mm-hmm. um, which is wrong. I get it. But uh, I just think that, you know, we need to invest more into the people who, the men and women who are behind bars because they are coming home. Mm-hmm. And, for many different reasons, like California, it's $112,000 a year to house someone in prison. Like that's a lot of money. That's a lot of like, money. You put $100,000 in someone's like rehabilitation and right. healing and like mental health and addiction recovery. Like you're getting a whole nother person. 
you're getting a whole nother person. Um, and so I think like we just need to be willing to look at people as humans uh, and not put labels on them as like inmates or, or prisoners or, you know, the trash. Mm. Did you get your college degree at San Quentin? So I didn't finish my college degree, like the baseball field. I Uh spent more time like (laughs) like balance, (laughs) right? I'm trying to work on balance in my life. And like the balance was like lots of baseball, little of college. However, you know what? Like I was always someone who believed in focused education. Like I didn't feel like I needed a college degree to do the things I wanted. And me and Lacey had conversations like, doing college like you get extra time taken off your sentence so the more credits i got in college the more time the faster i'd come home mm-hmm. but there were some things that i was really passionate about mm-hmm. some programs i helped develop at san quentin that really focused on people and providing opportunities to people that i would rather like my heart was there mm-hmm. uh, and not necessarily in the college and like we had some uncomfortable conversations Lacey got frustrated with me on a couple of occasions like why aren't you doing college like screw everything else um but like for me like i was like just keep the faith like god's gonna like like god's gonna take care of like the numbers like when i'm coming home and sure Mm -hmm. enough like i wasn't supposed to come home till 2026 yeah here i am wow you know you talk about how you were wanting to invest in some programs there and um i would love for you to tell us about some of the programs that you were able to start and be a part of there yeah no uh once again, like God's the only like answer, like how some of the stuff that we were able to do inside that prison happened. One of them, you know, Bob, me and Bob, uh, and a friend of ours, Kevin started, you know, the dream big, uh, program, the love does program inside San Quentin, um, which is, you know, amazing. Uh, um, I started a program with a friend of mine, Ted, uh, called coaching for life where we really brought I, I had about 10 incarcerated men who had athletic background one of them's a former pro bowl nfl player and you know i coached them up really got them understanding who they were as men and and how sports played good you know ha- had a positive and a negative effect on them specifically the coaches and then i would bring youth coaches in and sit down with these with these guys and and they got to share their experiences with the coaches on like what worked, what didn't, uh, what they wish their coaches would have done. Like that was a fun program that I had, had that we did. But the funnest one uh, and the one that's like really having an impact today is uh, for this productions, uh, the only incarcerated film crew in the country. And me and a few other guys, you know, we had all this camera equipment. Uh, down in the media center, which San Quentin ha- is the only prison that has, you know, podcasts, newspapers, and film, uh, you know, videos coming out that's fully ran by the incarcerated. But uh, we started for this, like, we just wanted to, like, use the tools that we had, which were cameras and audio equipment, and humanize incarcerated, like, tell impactful stories that humanized incarcerated. Um, and so... Today, like when I came home, I was given a, a a job with the nonprofit that you know supports and 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 oversees those media programs, and I, I get to take that program into other prisons, uh, which is really fun. Um, and just just being able to tell stories, I think you know that's what we're doing here mm-hmm. today. Is like just share stories, and so uh, you know we were blessed with the platforms, like the Department of Corrections, like once again, a God thing, like they say, okay, they said, yeah, you could have an Instagram and a YouTube and like a website, like, and you could, you know, obviously they like look over and make sure we're not saying or, or talking about things that, you know, don't align with, with the mission, but like no one's doing that in the country. Yeah. I know. Um, I'm going to put all the links in the show notes guys, because you need to follow all of this just so you can know, tell about how um, the rate of people who are coming out of that program, uh, re-entering prison, what is the rate for you guys in that specific program? Since 2012, we've paroled, graduated and paroled nearly 500, uh, people. None of them come back. We have a 0% recidivism rate. Uh, and not only are, are, you know, the participants who are going home, like doing good and not coming back, like they're thriving. Like they're, 
executive directors of nonprofits or leaders in the community. You know, they're, they're, they're doing their own documentaries. They're doing amazing things and having a huge impact. Um, and recently, uh, the governor went into San Quentin and did a news conference about kind of giving San Quentin a facelift and really um, investing more into San Quentin. And his, uh, like, the program that he talked about and highlighted the most on kind of, like, what steered this this new uh, investment was our program, like, our uh, media programs. It was amazing. I mean, I went in and, Brandon, you were like, don't tell us it's amazing if it's not. But I'm telling you, it's amazing. Like, I went in and I saw the newspaper. There's a, a newscast. There's they were creating videos. I've been following you guys on Instagram now. And it really is not just, like, pity telling you that it's amazing like oh you know look at our incarcerated people let's let's give them a clap it is literally really really good and so well done and i say all the time stories change the world it's one of the reasons i love the happy hour i love telling people stories not only do stories change the world brandon stories create empathy in people's lives and for me personally knowing you it changes the way I will ever think about an incarcerated person. And that happens in all areas of our life. If you don't know anyone who is Muslim, it's hard for you to think about Muslim people. If you don't know anyone who was born in Puerto Rico, you don't, you know what I mean? It's just like, and obviously we can't have touch points for every single different person in the world. But when we hear people's stories and we see their lives, it changes the way that we think about that quote unquote population. And so I'm such a big fan of people getting to know people who are different than them. And and so I'm grateful for our communication and that you get to come on the happy hour and share your story. Um, and congrats on all the work that you did uh, in San Quentin, creating beautiful things. Um, I want to, I want to go back to baseball a little bit, but I want to sit here, stick here for a minute because I know people are kind of wondering what does it look like for a follower of Jesus to have restoration and rehabilitation also for like the things that put them in prison. So what does that look like for you? Um, obviously knowing full well, like I'm not identified by my sin, I'm not identified by my actions, but also how do you walk through a, a state of uh, repentance for that, either within yourself, between the Lord, with your victim's family? What does that look like? Yeah, I think that's the hardest part, right? Like we all sin, some greater than others. Um, but like for me, what I've realized is forgiveness, um, like forgiveness is a release, right? Like, you know, I wasn't able to actually like, you know, blossom and, and experience redemption and restoration until like, I knew Jesus good enough that like he forgave me for, you know, my horrible choices. Um, but then, uh, so that's, that's the, the forgiveness for self. Right. Um, but in that, like, I realized that, you know, I might never be forgiven. Like Ryan's family may never forgive me. Um, I don't need their forgiveness though. Right. Like I got God's forgiveness. Like the word says it right. Like countless times. Um, but I think it's important for survivors and victims to forgive uh, their offenders, not for the offenders, but for them, right? Like when you forgive someone for an action uh, that they've, you know, for something they've done to you, like that forgiveness, like authentic forgiveness means like you're not allowing that to define who you are no more. You're not going to let it have a hold on your life. Um, and so... Like, I think forgiveness is, is something that, like, as a society, like, we need to do a better job at, mm. right? As Christians, we need to do a better job at, like, you know. Um, but then, like, the repentance. Like, for me, like, I knew I committed the ultimate selfish act. Like, the ultimate sin, I did it. Uh, and so that's why I wake up every morning trying to just be better for myself, um, for my family, for my community, for everyone around me and, and just like serve it any way I can. Like I'll never be able to bring Ryan back. I'll never be able to make up for, for my mistakes, but I'm going to try every single day I'm alive. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think that's, that's all we could do is, is one, you know, seek forgiveness through God 
and to like just live a life of remorse like i feel like remorse for me like true remorse is lived out in actions it's it's, it's not words it's not a vocabulary of mm -hmm. of words put together i'm sorry i apologize no mm -hmm. it's your actions mm -hmm. but are you at the point where you aren't doing those actions so that God will forgive you. Like you feel that you feel like I don't need to prove myself to God. No. Right. No, I, God's forgiven. It should be unhealthy. Like I've already, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not like in a, I'm not in a, like a competition or like I have to prove myself to God. Yeah. Like I need to forgive, ask for forgiveness every day when I sin and fall short. Like mm -hmm. I'm never going to be like, mm -hmm. you know, uh yeah i'm never gonna to li live a perfect day mm -hmm. um but like i don't need to prove myself to god god knows who i am mm -hmm. like he knows my heart mm -hmm. like, once again like there's no bad people right like there's just bad choices mm -hmm. and so like if we unpack all the traumas and all the pains and all that we've went through as humans and we've all experienced mm -hmm. it every single person listening right now ha has experienced their own traumas and pain mm -hmm. and i'm sure there's things that are sitting on their heart right now that they got to move away. Mm -hmm. um, but once we do that, like we don't have to prove ourselves. God knows what's there. Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah. Yeah. When we talked a couple of weeks ago, me and you and Lacey about these conversations, I told you something that felt pretty vulnerable for me to say to you, but I'm going to say it now to the entire world because I think it is like a lot of people would resonate with what I'm saying. And, I told you that my husband Aaron and I were having a conversation about something that we had watched on TV and this person on TV had um, committed a murder. And um, and I said out loud to my husband, this was just a couple weeks ago, I said out loud to him, I said, gosh, I don't know how anyone could actually do that. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I knew that it was wrong that I said that. I knew that it wasn't true. And I remembered, like, I remember meeting you guys at San Quentin, you know? And I immediately, I mean, seconds, all that happened in seconds where I had those like thoughts come to me. And I immediately recounted, I mean, recalled my statement and said to him, I was like, actually, like any of us could, like I could, you know? And it was this moment of me kind of acknowledging that it's just this like three steps away from making, you know, a bad decision or, or having a bad night or letting that trauma overtake me or whatever. And, um, I told you that on the phone call and I felt bad saying it. Like I was kind of embarrassed when I said it, but I think a lot of people would feel that way. And so what is, what is your kind of conversation back to me or that idea of like, Oh, I could, I would never do that. I could never do it. Brandon. I could never, these people who are incarcerated, like never me. What is your, what is your response to that? I mean, I'd like to say never say never, right? Uh, well, in full disclosure, I told you that, like, I recall that, and I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to feel that way, but I'm admitting to you that that was my first thought. Yeah, and I think like that's natural, right? Like, it's natural to like when you see murder, when you see destruction, right? That is caused by other humans, and like, yeah, we sin, like everybody sins, but like normal people, quote unquote, like. That's not what they do. So like when you see it, say, I would never do that. How can someone do that? Like that's natural. That's human. But when we really have got it, like, and not that you didn't, right? Like that just like, just because we have Jesus and we have God like completely in our hearts and in our lives, like sometimes like we'll say something just like subconsciously uh, and we're not even aware of what we're saying. Mm -hmm. Like that's just natural. It's, you know, um, but I think once again, like we just have to look back at like, why, mm -hmm. like why, what happened? Why, why did these people do these things? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like, you have to be able to ask those questions with empathy. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean we're excusing. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not asking anybody to excuse me for, um, for my actions, even forgive me. Mm -hmm. Right. Like hold me accountable, but like, have the the empathy and compassion to like you know why why did this happen mm -hmm. why did brandon make those choices mm -hmm. um and i think that's kind of like once we could lean into that and like just always be in that empathetic and understanding place um 
like we'll be able to move forward. And once again, like it's in the church, like, like, you know, the most, some of the most judgmental people, you know, uh, identify as Christians. And like, I think there was a, a, a reporter who did a journalist who did an interview with the Dalai Lama. And he says, you know, why is it that you have an issue with Christians? He says, I don't have an issue with Christians. If Christians were more like Jesus, we would identify as Christians. Mm. Um, and so I think like that always just relates with me. Yeah. It, um, it makes me think on like a whole different topic. But um, I was at a conference in January about it was a pro-life conference. And so it was about um, sanctity of life, which I said from the beginning, I think scans, it's a lot of things other than abortion. And so even saying that I'm pro-life, a lot of people would think like, oh, then you're just anti-abortion, which I am anti-abortion, but I'm also pro-life in lots of days. I'm, I'm against the death penalty. I'm pro like women getting support. I'm all, all of, a lot of things. But a lot of conversations around abortion would come back to a lot of people would just say like, oh, I could never, I can't believe that woman or who would do that. When really what we're lacking is like, what was, what were the circumstances in this woman's life that made her think this was her only option? Again, different than like, than, than your story in particular, but it is the same concept that you're saying is like, how do we have empathy for people who are in a different situation from us? How do we have empathy for people who we would look at and other them and say, I would never, because really what I was saying in that statement, and I can, I can throw, I can say it, it's me, I'm talking about myself. What I was really saying in that statement was I'm better than quote unquote them. And that's where I think it is a hard place for us. So I'm grateful that God immediately was like, hey, hold up, Miss Thing. Like, you better watch mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so I hope even me saying that can allow other people to be like, where in my life do I feel better than quote unquote them? And I'm and ask God to really point that out to you the same way he did for me. Yeah. You know what I had to like, I literally had to be put in a six by nine cell for over a decade to be humbled mm. because like I like I thought like I had an ego I had lots of pride you know I was better than you mm. uh like and, and all these different things and I just had to be humbled in every way mm. I still have to be humbled mm -hmm. um like God's still working in me and I think like he's always gonna work in me mm. uh until you know I, I'm up there in heaven with him um but like it's just humility mm -hmm. like we're not no one's better than yeah. the next person mm -hmm. uh man just asking god like to point that out in our individual lives of where that that pride comes up and we don't even realize it like in the example i just gave of my own self um how long how long were you in san quentin so i was at san quentin for almost six years uh i spent almost 11 years in prison okay uh, you said you spent a year in solitary confinement. Yep. I can only use my imagination um, about that, but can you give us a little bit of like understanding of what that means? Um, in your cell, 24 hours a day, like they say like, oh, you get one yard of wreck a day, but no, that's not how it works. You get eight hours, 10 hours of yard a week, uh, eight hours a yard a week. So every other day they'll take you out to yard for a couple hours um but when you go to yard you're in a dog kennel like think of an oversized mm. dog cage dog kennel that's what it is um and yeah just like isolated everywhere you go you're in shackles and handcuffs and you know escorted in your boxers and and sandals um got to strip out every every time you leave the cell um so very very humiliating um humbling um you know all that all that stuff that you see in movies like that's how it is and that um, was at san quentin right that so so san quentin is the only prison in california that has death row so not only was i in solitary confinement but i was in the adjustment center because you know my my past reputation in prison before meeting you know before you know jesus uh and then my my actions that sent me mm -hmm. to solitary confinement, they put me in the adjustment center, which is the hold for death row. So the most secure housing housing unit in the state of California. Uh, everybody that I was locked in, they were all on death row. Like there were serial killers. There was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of bad choices mm -hmm. in in that area. Um, but once again, like 
there's also opportunity. Like for me, there was opportunity. Like everything stopped. Like I didn't, uh, like I didn't have nothing to do other than reflect. So it was like a year long. I look at it as like a year long of reflection mm. and, and, uh, like being able to get real with God. Mm. You, would you in solitary confinement that year, is that when you became a follower of Jesus? That's when I get, yeah, yeah. that's when ultimately yeah. like everything happened. Um, and once again, like I said, like I picked up that Bible, you know, in 2012 when I was battling, you know, suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. and, and just all the shame. And, and I felt that comfort, but I didn't, uh, I didn't accept Jesus mm-hmm. into my life. I yeah. didn't give him control of my life. Would you say, and I think my question is just curious of like behind bars, you know, you said, you know, at the other prison, you were a cowardly Christian and it was not really a safe thing to be talking about the love and joy and peace of Jesus. Um, and then you spent, you know, that year in solitary confinement and really had a lot of time to reflect and started following Jesus. Would you say that um, coming out of solitary confinement, going back into the regular population, was it a noticeable change in your life for people that knew you before that you had changed? Yeah. You know, I think. I think the one thing people always knew that like I was respectful, like you could, you know, you could trust me, you know, those types of things, but it's different. Like all that stuff's good, but it's different when like you have God, like, and you have like the spirit within you, the spirit around you. Um, and so people like people were cautiously, uh, they were, they were, they were cautious. Right. Um, but, I think like within within no time, like everybody's like, wow, like, yeah, God, something happened. When you say cautious, would that be because I've heard a lot of people say, well, of course, people became a Christian in, in prison. Like, you know, what do they have to lose? Would you say caution because of that or caution just because of like, is this real? What's going on? I don't think cautious, like cautious in a bad way. Right. They were like, like I was I was wild. And like I was like I had I had something to prove. And so, like, in prison, once again, like, it's, like, if you're always on the offense, like, you're never going to become a victim. And so, like, I was always fighting. Like, I, I didn't, like, I built a reputation of being that tough guy, being that guy that, like, and, like, I used to justify, like, oh, like. Yeah, take care like, of myself. The bu- like, like, the bullies, like, all the, like, the people that, like, use, like, the political uh, structure, like, manipulated it, like. Uh, that's what I would battle. So like, I always used to like, Oh, like I'm doing a good thing here. But like, uh, so when I came out of, uh, of solitary, like people were just cautious, like, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's give Brandon his space. And you know what I mean? Like, you know, but in a matter of no time, people were like, you know what? Like he's, he's really doing a lot of good things. And, and I think I led a lot of people who were like, not necessarily led people to Christ, but just led people to like investing in themselves and taking full advantage of the opportunities. Uh, and, and just to like be fully transparent, I wasn't like, I was open about my faith and I was open about like what God's doing in my life uh, and me getting delivered. But I never wanted to be that person that was like a hypocrite. When it comes to the word, I never wanted to preach and, and I still won't ever preach if I'm doing something in my life that people could like use against me. Cause like, I just, I take, take it serious. Uh, and I've always like people in the church who, who preach, you know, preach, preach this, but live this, like, that's what kept me away from wanting to identify as a Christian. Uh, and so like, there were still things that, I fell short of that. I was still working through, um, that held me back from like being so public about, um, you know, really just preaching. Yeah. Especially because of your Um, experience in middle school with the principal. I mean, that'll jack, that'll jack somebody up, you know, with speaking something and then, and then acting another one. Brandon, I want to ask you this. Um, in a minute, I want you to tell us like what you're doing now and, and how we can be a part and follow and support and all those things. But I want you to take us back to the day you stepped out of San Quentin uh, as a free man. And can you tell me about that day? Yeah, I think uh, a dream come true, right? Um, it was 
overwhelming in the sense like when I stepped off the van, like they put you in a van, drive you out of the prison and drop you off to your family or whoever's there. Uh, I, you know, I had quite a bit of people out there and I was just overwhelmed with like joy, happiness, you know, sadness. There was this sadness because like I've let these people down for so long and like, like just like this weight of like, now I got to like, now it's real. Now I have to like redeem myself and go on this long journey of redemption. But like just holding my kids, my wife, like my family, my parents, like the best feeling ever. Um, and then, you know, the, the whole since coming home, like there's been some ups and downs. Um, but like every day is a dream come true. Like I wake up, like I've always been like optimistic and like, you know, like high energy. Um, but like I sat back in there, I'm always doing things like, wow, like I'd sat back in, in a prison cell for a decade dreaming about this. Stuff. Yeah. And so it's true. And, and like just lots of, lots of, you know, grateful moments. Did you experience any um, complicated emotions that might be like sorrow for leaving your buddies or sorrow for what you were having to let go? Like, it it feels like, of course not, you're ready to go home. But I would imagine there's some really deep bonds created um, in prison. And so was there any kind of complicated emotions that you might have felt as well? I don't think the day I left, I think uh, a few weeks after I paroled, I went back in uh, to San Quentin. Uh, I do some work with the San Francisco Giants. And so I took the mental health uh, team from the Giants into the prison to talk to the, the incarcerated baseball team. Um, and like, it was like four weeks, three, four weeks after. Uh, and like, it was so good to like give them a hug especially chase my my uh, old cellmate who we lived together for almost five years um like it just felt good i felt so comfortable my therapist uh she was uh you know she's a therapist for the giant shana and and she was sitting there and she's like we're doing therapy right like and and she's speaking and she keeps like 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 checking me out like like seeing what i'm doing and she afterwards she's like you felt so comfortable in there like i hadn't seen you that comfortable anytime I've met you on the outside. And I'm like, that was my home for, for almost 11 years. Um, but when I left and I had to say goodbye to those guys and walk out of that gate and not be able to take them and like, not know when I'll be able to see them again, that was very hard. Like I finally was able to have this empathy and understanding of what my wife and what my family, every uh person who who visits their loved ones and has to leave like i finally experienced what those feelings were and and i remember driving home in the truck uh after that visit and it was it like i got sad like i don't know like i have some amazing some of my closest bonds my closest brothers are doing life in prison and so i don't know when they're going to come home if they'll ever come home uh and so just saying with that and like knowing I have this life out here. But then the other part of it too is like, you know, it comes up from time to time. But like here I'm living this life. I'm with my wife. I'm with my kids. I could do a lot of amazing things. Um, and Ryan doesn't have that no more. Ryan's not here. Ryan's kids don't have that. Ryan's family don't have Ryan. And so like I once again, like always just trying to remain humble and super grateful and take advantage of every moment. I can see that humility um, coming out when you talk about what you have and always kind of remembering what Ryan doesn't have. And it doesn't seem as though you're like beating yourself up. It really just seems as you're like just a sobering reality. You know, this is the truth of what it is. Um, I want to talk about baseball for a second. Uh, you uh, admittedly told us that you were a star baseball player, and I love that so much. But uh, you have done work with the San Francisco Giants, you said. San Quentin, explain that San Quentin has a baseball team. Like, what's going on here? And tell me a little bit about what you do with them. Yeah, so San Quentin's the only baseball or only prison in the country, uh, possibly the world, that has uh, an incarcerated baseball team that plays civilian teams. So pre-COVID 2019, we had 400 
and 20 something people come in from the outside. These are all different teams, right? Come in to play uh, our prison team. When you say teams, um, is it like the high school team, a college kid, a pro, a pro team, minor league? What is it? Everything. So okay. we have a lot of, like, a lot of them are just like, you know, competitive men's rec teams. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a couple of high school, like seniors, 18 year old uh-huh. teams come in, super powerful. Um, we've had some like traveling, like really competitive teams come in. We've had father son teams come in. We've had independent professional teams come in. And then we've had a handful of teams like of college and retired uh, pro players mm-hmm. come in um in 2019 so baseball has been being played inside san quentin since like the 30s and for many years they were actually in uh of the minor league division wow. so the independent pro the minor like the farm leagues uh in northern central to northern california they were in that division every game was a home game yeah <laughs> um, but but back then if you weren't a lifer like the 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 guards would take you out for the all-star game they would literally take you out to Sacramento and like you got to play if wow. you were, a, were not a lifer and you made yeah. that team. So like San Quentin has a rich history of baseball. Um, and in 2019, uh, we we set the record. We went 38 and two. We had a 33 game winning streak. Like and that, that was like talk about like just a special mm-hmm. like time, right? Like I was in prison, but like. Every time I put on that uniform, like I got to get out of prison blues, yeah. the prison scrubs, and put on a baseball uniform and feel human. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, amazing program. And uh, over the last couple of years, I was able to, me and Lacey were able to build a relationship with a friend of ours, Bobby, um, at the San Francisco Giants. And, you know, he started donating and, and doing different things for the program. And since coming home, like I've been, me and Bobby are like, we need to do more. Like we need to do more. And so uh, we're working right now on on uh, having a public partnership between the San Francisco Giants and the San Quentin baseball program. Um, and really just like, you know, influence the community and show the community that like people invest into, you know, prison rehabilitation mm-hmm. and programs. I love it so much. Um, did you, could you did could you have fans coming and watch or was it just other inmates? So no. So like family members, uh-huh. like there was lots of times like family members of like the other team uh-huh. um, would come in, you know, like we could get people clear. Um, not our family members. Lacey. Used I was going to gonna say, it. did Lacey like, ever get to see you play? No, she's going to see me play in there. I'm going to take her in. Like when I go back in and play, I'm going to uh-huh. take a team in there this summer and, and she's going to go in. Uh, oh, that's great. And, and watch. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, for once again, it's the hope, right? Like mm-hmm. civilians, people who aren't in prison, when they go in and spend time with people who are serving time, like you, your beacons of hope, like mm-hmm. you get to go love on people who haven't been loved. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things like, you know, just back to Lacey, like she, like I have a wife who like seen the good of me mm-hmm. and was really willing to able to like love on love on me despite of my choices mm-hmm. we're going to talk to Lacey on friday and she's going to tell us the story of you guys getting together and meeting and marriage and kids and all the things i'll, I'll let her fill in all the blanks for everybody um yeah with all of that um i think it's a beautiful story um okay tell us brandon how what how can people follow what you're doing how can people be a part of what you're doing what's going on right now with what you're doing yeah so today like I said, like uh, I was able to start with some friends inside for this productions. Uh, we're we're a program underneath the Pollen Initiative, um, and so that's what I'm doing today. Like taking uh, incarcerated-led media programs uh, with my partner Jesse, and like we're taking them into other prisons and allowing you know other incarcerated populations to have their own newspapers, have their own podcasts, have their own film programs. Um, really just investing like ultimately like at Pollen initiative we're just investing in you know people who've been overlooked who've made choices uh and then um doing you know whenever whenever i meet someone that i feel like i could love on and really like mentor you know i I do some coaching Mm -hmm. um but just just really trying to 
to provide opportunities to the incarcerated. Um, you could, you could, uh, see us at four disc productions, which is the, the incarcerated ran uh, video program, uh, San Quentin news, uh, and then our organization, uh, that oversees all of those programs is the pollen initiative. Um, and then me, you can follow me at Brandon Terrell coaching. I love it so much. And I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes for you guys can find them. And I'll also share them on Instagram and stuff. Um, Brandon, I think one of the things I have gained the most from this conversation and really my hope for even having this conversation, besides even sharing your amazing story and what got done in your life, obviously. But one of my hopes is just, you've said it already is just um, treating people like humans. And I think that we have an incarceration system in our country that oftentimes does not treat um, inmates in a humane manner. And um, you've said it, obviously I believe it, justice needs to happen. People are held accountable for what they do. But as a follower of Jesus, I'm really compelled to see how do we treat people in humane ways, whether that is incarcerated, whether it is immigration policies, whether it is women in unwed pregnancies, whether it is a Muslim, whatever it is, I really believe that people deserve to be treated as human. And so thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, and Lacey's going to be on on Friday. I know. I can't wait. She, she has the powerful story. I'm excited. I'm really excited to talk to her. Brandon, thank you so much. Thank you. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. Executive produced by Jamie Ivey. Produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Edited by Angie Elkins. Show notes by Nikki Ogden. Art by Jen Jet Barrett. Original music by Matt Graham. And I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.